Last week I had spoken to you some about the waiting upon the Lord and that his way of forgiveness is a measured way. In other words, while his forgiveness of your sin is immediate, when you truly confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So his forgiveness is immediate. However, you may wait until your own heart is completely cleared of this sin. Though you have been forgiven, according to the measure of the quickness which with you really repent, each individual heart is different. And you're able to be corrected by God. Just that long will the Lord keep you under his hand. As I said last week, if every time we just ran to the Lord and said, Lord, forgive me for this sin, and we could get up and forget it, I'm afraid that a lot of us would be involved with the same old sins over and over again. So there is a waiting period, as the psalmist says here. First, he says in the fourth verse, there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. And then he says, I wait. I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. So the waiting period is a difficult one. It's not easy. Waiting, beloved, is rough. And yet it has great benefits. How often we'd like things to happen, you know, you pray for something and you, you would like it to happen right away, you know, just like that. You pray and that's it. Well... It just doesn't work that way, and I'm glad it doesn't work that way. God is not that kind of a giver. God is, uh, is not giving things to us just for the asking. God is giving to us those things that are best for us. Many of the things we might ask for, he lets us wait and sometimes never answers and never gives us that thing that we want, but he has something better for us. But waiting is, is difficult uh, in trial. Uh, it tries our faith, of course, of what sort it is, really. Can you wait? Are you able to wait? If the Lord says, wait. Uh, you know how you pray for something and you'd like to push it along a little bit yourself, you know. And I think that's the inclination of our hearts is to push things along ourselves and not wait patiently on the Lord. And that's the whole uh, the reason, isn't it, for our waiting? There's, it's to build up patience in our hearts. Uh, you'll remember that that t tells us in Romans, the fifth chapter, that uh, tribulation worketh what? Patience, right? And patience, experience. And experience, hope, you see, that we'd be not ashamed. In other words, here is God working out all these things in divine order. Tribulation is not answered immediately like that every time. Tribulation has a work. Its work is patience. Have you learned patience in tribulation? Have you learned what it means to wait on the Lord? It requires confidence that God will answer finally. 
that if you've prayed and you're in the position to pray, this is very important, that you're in the position to pray. I think uh, a terrible lot of us many times are not in any position or condition to pray because our prayers are not real prayers. They're recitations maybe, but they're not prayers. And I think that our condition sometimes is of such a character that our prayers could hardly get above our heads. There may be things in our lives that we know have to be cleared up before we can really come into God's presence. I think all the scriptures indicate that to get answered prayer, you have to be in the proper condition and position before God. I don't believe, I think that uh, we waste a lot of time in prayer sometimes when maybe we should be in the Word of God, getting that strength which God can give us that our prayers may be effectual. Weak Christians can't have strong prayers. And weak Christians do not become strong through prayers. Weak Christians become strong through the Word of God. My word is food indeed. If we're to have strength in prayer, we must be strong in the word. And I'm afraid that if we were to honestly, you know, take like a, a census of the people, and I won't do it tonight, but if we were to take a census of the people and, and actually put down on your attendance card on Sunday, suppose I said this next Sunday morning, or, or this morning, that would have been better. And said, I would like you to write on your cards before the Lord Jesus Christ, honestly, how much time you spent not in Dr. DeHaan's booklet, but in the Word of God this past week. By the measure of the amount of time that you spent in the Word of God, I can tell you the effectiveness of your prayer life. You can't have one without the other. You can't have an effectual prayer life unless it's coming out of a strong spiritual life. And a strong spiritual life is not attained through prayer. Prayer is communion with God. Prayer is not the source of strength. The source of strength is the Word of God so that you may be strong in prayer. And so the waiting period sometimes is our own fault if I can put it that way, because we're not in either condition or position to honestly come to God and to be patient and to be able to wait for his answer. And yet uh, it does train us to submit under his hand, and then finally it brings a blessing that's so rich when the answer comes that uh, truly our hearts can't just contain it. Now, if we're going to be able to wait on God and him alone, now just think for a minute, you're actually going to wait on God and him alone for the answer to your problem. Now think for a moment what I'm saying. You're going to wait on God and him alone for the answer to your problem. If this is going to be true, and most of us will have to admit that when we say we're waiting on God, we're running all around to try to settle our problems by ourselves. 
we quote the scripture about waiting on God, but we're running here and running there and trying to settle the problem. Although the Lord says, be still and know that I am God and there is none else. There is that waiting on him. Now, if we're to really be able to wait on him alone, then all the powers of our soul must be stirred up within us. And they must be stirred up to recognize his unlimited power. All the powers of our mind must concentrate on him, who he is. What do you believe he is? How much power do you think God has? How able is he to take care of you and your problems? Is he able? You know how often we can take, I know I brought a message one time on the he is ables. You know, and we can quote the verses, can't we? Huh? He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. And you quote that and then you run out and you're gurning here and running there and see if you can't settle it yourself. But you say, he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all. Big circle around the all that I ask or I think. He is able. But actually, if you're going to depend on God and him alone, I have to challenge you then that your mind and your soul have to be stirred up so much to understand the, what, unlimited power of God. Does God have any limitation in power? Is he restricted by your problem? Is there something that he can't take care of? Is there some problem where God cannot be called into the problem? Is there any area of life where he cannot answer us? Well, let me tell you, when we're going to go God, to God and we're going to wait on him, then we must make sure if we're going to wait on God alone that every single facet of our nature, born again, must be stirred up to see God's unlimited power. And all I can say is, if he's really given me eternal life, I don't think there's anything else he'll have a problem with about me. If I really believe that. If I really believe Christ has given me eternal life, if I really believe that my sins are forgiven, if I really believe that he's coming again, then, beloved, I must believe that he has unlimited power. And my mind, which has been regenerated, transformed, must get to see him with his unlimited power. How many times have you really prayed to God as though his power is unlimited? And you've believed. Really believed. Oh, I don't mean for the light things, you know, you can pray about some of the little things and that's one thing. But I mean to go to God with that biggest problem you've got, whatever it may be. It, it can be in any area. It can be in the family life. It can be in your personal life. 
can be in any area. I don't know what it is in everybody's life. Everybody's different. But to believe that God really has the answer and you're waiting on him patiently. But you're in a position to be answered as you pray. Your life is really fit for answered prayer. Listen, I, I dread saying this, but I believe that a great majority of Christians are not in the position to get real, powerful, answered prayer. Otherwise, I think we'd see great things being done in the church of Jesus Christ. I believe that there has to be that concentration of all of the powers of our being upon the unlimited power of our God who has redeemed us in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Now, if the blood redeemed me from sin and has set my feet on the course for heaven, then, beloved, I don't have to worry about his unlimited power. And then we wait on him. Wait on the Lord. And again I say, wait on the Lord. So that waiting can be difficult, very difficult. It takes such patience. It's a wonderful thing if, you, if when you've got a need, you can sit still. That's our hardest job, isn't it? That's sitting still. How often do you meet people today? I'll have people say to me, you know, I'll be with somebody and uh, someone will say about their wife or their husband will say, never can sit still. Always got to be doing something. Always on the move, never able to sit still. I can't help, and I know we're living in a rat race world. I recognize that, and I recognize that northeastern United States is probably one of the worst places in the world to try to sit still. And yet I have to say that for the soul that has that glorious capacity of being alone in the presence of God and sitting still, and meditating upon the Lord Jesus Christ and concentrating all the powers of our soul upon his unlimited power to answer our prayers and seeking to be in that perfect position where God can answer us, cleansed every wit and yearning for his promise to be fulfilled in us. That soul has found the answer to peace the peace of God. Now, you know, we hear a lot of talk about the peace of God that passes all understanding, but I hate to say it, I don't think there's a lot of it around. That peace of God that passes all understanding. And that waiting on God is so important. And then I think, too, while a mind must meditate on his unlimited power, it also has to do something else. And you know, it's good for us to do this. I think it's wonderful if we allow our memory to go back to some of his past benefits and answers. Good for us, you know. You've got a problem? Have you ever had a problem before? Yes, I have. 
when you went to the Lord with your problem the last time and you really prayed, did he answer you? Yes, he answered me. Has he changed since last time? No, he hasn't changed. Can he answer you again then? Yes, he can answer me again. Will he answer you again? He will answer me again. All right? You've been thinking about his answers in the past to your problems. You know, when we say that, count your blessings, name them one by one, and then, of course, we say ton by ton, you know? And isn't it true, if you were to look back over your past life and the times you've been in deep and dire necessity and great needs in your personal life, and you've gotten on your knees and gone to God in prayer and been really serious with God, you know, isn't it dreadful that sometimes we have to have either tragedy or some terrible thing happen to us for God to wrench our tongues loose in our mouths so we really talk from our hearts to him. Terrible. We can become so academic in our prayers when things are rather rosy. They sort of become rote. The children are well. Husband is doing all right or wife. The job is all right. Enough money. Roof over our heads, clothing, all of these things. What happens to our prayer life many times? Academic, academic. They hardly mean a thing. But give me that person and give them a deep burden with someone in there who loves very much a loved one fatally ill. And suddenly the tongue is loosened within their mouths and their heart is open to God and great pleadings gush forth that God's been waiting for for so long, the warmth of a loving and a tender prayer that he hasn't heard for so long because we're pure academics. Look into your prayer life. What kind of a prayer life do you really have now? Remember, suppose I asked you to write down on your card two things, attendance card on Sunday. Number one, how long did you spend in the Word of God last week? And number two, how much time did you spend in prayer? Now, then after you have put those two on your card, do it mentally, you know. After you put those two on your card, see, then I want you to say to yourself, now I better go over my problems after you see the weakness of the two. Then I want you to go over all of the problems you have that you've been praying about. And then look at the amount of time you spent in prayer about this terrible, serious thing in your life and the amount of time you spent in the Word of God. And I think you would be chagrined very deeply in your soul that if the problems are that serious, you've spent so little time in the Word of God and in prayer. Look back at the past and look and have that memory stirred up as to what God has done for you. If you want to think of salvation, wonderful, what he's done for you on the cross of Calvary. But think of all the benefits. Remember the psalmist says, if I forget all thy benefits, Lord, what a terrible thing. If I forget all your benefits, all that you've done for me, therefore I will be blind to the fact of the great power of God 
and what he can do for me and the waiting and the patience it takes. And then the heart and the affections must be set upon his love. Does he love you? Does he love you? Does he love you as a father loves his children? If your earthly father knows how to love you and give you good gifts, good gifts, how much more shall your heavenly father, right, love them, you see? His children, love his children. How much more shall he love you? If your earthly fathers know this, how much more will he know? So there must be a concentration upon his love for you. How much does that love mean to you? Is it deep? Is it real? Will he really answer you? Does he love you that much? If the Lord loves you as a father, he chastens you when he needs to chasten you. Will he not bless you when he should bless you? Does the father only have one thing, chastening? Nay, he has blessing. And he only chastens that he may bless. He applies the rod that he then may pour in the balm, that he may bless the heart. And so the waiting upon the Lord is so wonderful and so important to our souls. Then notice the next verse. Let Israel hope in the Lord. The psalmist has talked about his waiting on the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. Then he looks and he says, let Israel hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy. And with him is plenteous redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. I couldn't help but think here, do you know how the heart bubbles? I don't know how you are this way, but, you know, the psalmist is praying. See, he's got problems. He's got sins. He talks about his iniquities being forgiven. Who doesn't? Who doesn't need their iniquities forgiven? And he waits on the Lord for his answer. And he knows the Lord is gracious and plenteous in his mercy and in his redemption, and he waits on him. And his heart bubbles so much as he conceives of the great power of God and his capacity to bless him and to answer his problems that he cries out. And I, I wrote in my Bible here, see, it says here, you know, how he says, and this all stems from one man. This is, this is how a nation is blessed, you see. It has to stem from individuals. And I had written in my Bible, he says, let Israel hope in the Lord. I put, let America hope in the Lord. You see? Your heart bubbles within you. You're praying to Almighty God. You're asking for blessing. And the blessing's poured in by God. And as it's poured in, you think, if God can do this for me, he could do this for my nation I love. Let America hope in the Lord. For with the Lord, there is mercy. And let me tell you, our nation needs a lot of mercy right now. And with the Lord, there is plenteous redemption. And we need plenteous redemption. I couldn't help but think here about that mercy, you know. That's an, it, it, the, the idea here in the Hebrew is plenteous mercy and plenteous redemption. In other words, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And uh, I think of this country that I love and you love so much and how much we need the Lord. Oh, let America see the Lord. For there's plenteous mercy and plenteous redemption with him.
And you know, when you think of that plenteous mercy, you have to think mercy dwells in God. It's one of the attributes of his nature. It's his, one of his great perfections is mercy. He's not like you or me. Our mercy is begrudged. We don't sort of give out mercy like God gives it out. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The mercy of the Lord is plentiful. There is mercy with our God, and his mercy is not begrudged to us. Oh, we begrudge mercy. People plead for mercy in some situation they're involved in, and we begrudge it, we give it out, but not willingly. We're not that kind of, we're just not that way unless Christ has so filled our hearts that we're able to dispense mercy. Listen, only the Christian born again can distribute mercy to the sinner in his own heart. Where there are marriage problems, where there are problems in the family, the only thing that can bring mercy into that family situation is when Christ has come to dwell in the heart of one in the family so that mercy is dispensed in the family. The Christian is to shine. He dispenses the mercy of God for God has come to dwell in his breast. He's to be so vitally different. He's merciful. But man begrudges mercy. He's not merciful. And then he's tender. And then there's plenteous redemption. I couldn't help but think, you know, God, suppose redemption had been this way. Let's say redemption is here in the blood of Jesus Christ. But let's say redemption is a limited thing. Let's say redemption does this. Let's say that God looks down from heaven and we say we believe on Jesus Christ as our Savior, and he says, upon the basis of your belief, I forgive you. Go and sin no more. And that's it. What value? But his redemption is plenteous. He takes a beggar and makes him a king. He takes one who's poverty-stricken and who lives in the ghetto of sin and puts him in a mansion. He takes a man who has been sinful in his own family and places him in the family of God and makes him a son of God. His redemption is plenteous. He makes the sin of the saint he makes the man on the road to hell start on the road to heaven. Why, Paul says, why do you think Paul says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. If forgiveness is only for now, what value? Who cares? Then take Solomon, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But if that forgiveness is plenteous redemption beyond all that we can imagine, he places me out of the loneliness of life 
into the fellowship of God's dear Son. He translates me out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He takes me out of an earthly family that's going to die in the name of Gian and all the rest, and he puts me in the heavenly family where the name shall never die of Jesus Christ. And I, who will never leave much upon this earth, he says, I've made you a joint heir with Jesus Christ of all he possesses. I'd say that's a plenteous redemption. Did you get an idea that redemption was just sins forgiven? No, redemption starts with sins forgiven. But it's plenteous. Think of the things it's done for you. Made you a son of God. How tremendous is this redemption that we have in Jesus Christ. His mercy is everlasting and his redemption is plenteous and he shall redeem Israel or America from all iniquities. What a day that would be, huh? But I want to tell you, it began with one man here in Israel. Has to begin with one man. Has to begin in each heart individually. Did you ever think of his plenteous redemption? I'm glad he put it in there, aren't you? Plenteous redemption. Because I think sometimes we confine it to so, so little, you know. Sin's forgiven. I think so many people, that's why God had to put it in his word. If in this life only you have hope in Christ, you're miserable. Doesn't mean a thing. It's wonderful that your sins are forgiven. But if that's it, doesn't mean a thing. But if you have that plenteous redemption that assures you eternal life and eternal family, that you'll be in the presence of Jesus Christ forever, that you're a son of God, that you're a joint heir with Jesus Christ of his heavenly kingdom, that you're no longer a sinner that is unredeemed, but now a sinner who is a saint in the eyes of God, redeemed forever. What a plenteous, plenteous redemption. Now you can bear the trials then. If your redemption is plenteous, I reckon that the sufferings of this time are as nothing, you see, compared what? To the glory that shall be what? Revealed in who? Us. But you've got to see the plenteous redemption. I'm so glad the psalmist, there's no place in the New Testament where they get that word in, see? But the psalmist got it in. It's a plenteous redemption. Paul puts it well. He puts, how shall we escape if we neglect what? So great salvation. Great salvation. Plenteous redemption. Let us pray. Now, Father, we thank thee for thy precious word again. Lord, we find the gospel wherever we look. We're so thankful for it. We remember this morning as we read that Jesus said in the volume of the book, it is written of me. When he cometh into the world, he said, burnt offerings and sacrifices thou wouldst not, but a body thou hast prepared me. 
Father, we're so thankful that that prepared body is the means of our plenteous redemption. Father, we ask thy blessing upon us tonight. When we wait on the Lord, may we remember that plenteous redemption. When we wait on the Lord, may we concentrate our hearts and our gaze, our minds upon his unlimited power. Think of the things he did when he was on the earth. Think of the things he's done in our own personal lives. And then think if he will not continue to be the same yesterday, today, and forever. Father, bless these words to our hearts, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.